This episode of the Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com. You know you want to. Jules Sebastian is not just the wife of a very successful Australian singer and performer. She's a mum of two young boys, a woman who has success in her own right and someone who follows where her curiosity takes her. She's also a delight and has an amazing book, Tea and Honey, out now. So meet Jules Sebastian, open and frank as her and Yana talk through how to navigate modern life successfully, overcoming tragedy and how to get it all done. Sounds easy, right? (laughs) Well, no, it's not. Jules is a mum like anyone else, trying to do everything for her family as best she can. Listen in to this very important chat in just a moment on the Curious Life podcast. Well, hello, Jules. Sebastian, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Yana. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. I have just been thoroughly enjoying your beautiful book, Tea and Honesty. And there's so much that I could have unpacked with you today because it's almost like you've left no stone unturned. You've talked about every kind of facet of your life. And the thing that I found most rewarding in reading this was how many relatable moments there were for you as a parent, as a professional, as a partner, as a person in a family going through something really tragic. And it gave me such a better insight into who you are because I knew about you from your YouTube series and as a stylist and of course, as Guy Sebastian's wife. But It was just so fabulous to get the whole picture of Jules and more about who you are as a person. Well, thank you for saying all of that. And I'm glad that you got that from the book because that's exactly my intention with it. I wrote it without really knowing what was going to come out when I started. And I went back and forth. I'm going to save for a good six months sort of thinking about what I wanted to put in there and the chapters. And I took a lot of time and effort in really curating those 12 chapters down into what they are now and so my intention was exactly what you're saying for whoever picks up the book to see themselves in the pages and of course that your story is not the same as my story it's not the same as anyone else's story what we live is our own things and our own feelings and our own journeys what we do have in common are those life experiences like the things I've named my chapters identity and comparison and grief and guilt and surrender and kindness and all these things that we collectively as humans go through on a day-to-day basis but we go through it in our own way so I think it's been nice to hear you say that you yeah there was relatable parts in there because that's exactly what it's for I just wanted people to pick it up and just go oh my gosh I'm so glad that I'm not the only one I think somebody like Jules who is in the public eye has this perfect pristine life and nothing ever goes wrong or she never has to try very hard or there's never any tragedies or there's never feelings attached to anything. It's very untrue. And I think a lot of us, me included, you see other people living their lives. You, For the most part, you see them living it online and the curated version of that. And you think, oh, what a life. What a, what a breeze. I mean, how do they look this good all the time? Mm-hmm. But underneath it all, we are all the same. We all have struggles. We all have challenges. We all have days where we wake up and we don't feel like doing things or we wake up in a bit of a mood and or things don't go our way and things happen and we lose people and we we lose something we love or we're having trouble with our children and parenting is hard or marriage is hard or whatever it is like that is happening to every single person you ever bump into or or ever meet and it's a nice way to feel not so alone in your life and in what you're trying to get done in your day. You're absolutely right. The whole premise behind this show has always been about sharing stories and how we all overcome the minor or the major tragedies in our lives that inevitably occur for all of us at some point or another. There's so many things that we could talk about in this book, but 
You hit on one before about comparison. And I was talking about this with somebody the other day, as a parent in particular, that is just a constant nagging little voice in the back of your mind. I'm also a mother of two boys. So I completely related to your story and your wild, energetic little Hudson. I mean, I live that day to day. And I'm constantly finding myself feeling those pangs of envy of the mothers of girls who will sit and craft for hours or who'll come with them to the office and play office with them. And I can't get my boys to stop tearing the house apart for about three minutes at a time. That constant, yeah, that constant, even if it's not the obvious things like on Instagram when we're comparing our lives to everybody else, it's just those little daily things. And one of the things that you said in your book was about kind of just accepting our little people for who they are and being so grateful for all the things that they bring to us. Being able to shift that mindset from comparison to almost gratitude But obviously that doesn't come overnight. Why did you decide to share that part of your life? I believe everyone feels comparison, no matter what you do, whether it comes to parenting or social media or how you look or how you dress or where you live or a constant sort of barrage of what other people have going on and and what they have and what you might not have. And so it's all around us all the time. I thought it was an important thing to bring up. Yes, I have been through these feelings and I still have these feelings, but here's a few things that I've tried. Here's kind of where I've landed with the whole comparison thing. And it's funny because that's sort of the chapter that most people talk to me about. That's what I'm sort of finding. And I think I think it is because it's something that we a lot of us struggle with and a lot of us go through. I sort of talk about, When I had my baby boy Hudson, my first baby, and my sister-in-law, who were very close, we live close by and we've known each other since we were five years old, but we know each other really well. She was pregnant at the same time and she had her baby girl and my niece 10 weeks after Hudson. And so that natural kind of, we're hanging out together all the time, having babies together and watching each other's kids grow up and Hudson is Hudson and India is India and they're two different people just as they should be because why would I expect them to be the same but yeah watching my life this tornado of just like everyone just watch out because we've arrived and put your things away and we're loud and we're a lot and you know like Huddy just he's crazy he's he's a lot of energy and then I'm looking at India who is calmly walking like we don't walk anywhere we run sprint bounce jump flip off things still Hudson is nine Archie's almost seven and like if there is a fence to walk on they will do it if there is a pile of dirt to jump into they will do that whereas I'm watching India just seemingly walking along a cloud and just floating everywhere and doing it in silence and choosing yeah the craft over the the mud and coloring in that she could just sit and do for two three hours at a time and not need anything don't even ask for anything (laughs) I was just like wait a minute this what is happening what am I doing so wrong here and then you go all internal and you start thinking what am I doing wrong and how can I do this better and how can I make my kid more quiet and it but but I I drove myself nuts for, for a long time trying to figure out how to First of all, make Hudson like India. And second of all, how do I make myself like my sister-in-law Mim and parent like that? Because if I parent like that, then my kid will be like that. Mm. Until I realized, oh, you know, actually that's impossible. I'm never going to be Mim and Hadi is never going to be Indy. That is the first thing I need to do is accept that we are all different people doing things differently. We are wired differently. We're never going to be the same. So that was my first big revelation. Very obvious now in looking back. Then I just learned to embrace it. And I was like, okay, we are wild. Like, let's just go with it. We're a wild bunch. We do things haphazardly. We I try to stick to a schedule as much as I humanly possibly can. But we go off the schedule sometimes. We eat at later than others or earlier than others. Or we pick up something on the way in a, in a drive-thru and I haven't packed a lot. Like, whatever it is, like, that is our life and it's a wonderful life and it's a beautiful life and in all its crazy and haphazardness and all of that it's so much fun Mm -hmm. and I as soon as I embraced that I was like oh you know actually we were a good time 
we're a fun bunch of people <laughs> to be around and I'm sure I'm not ruining people's experience of, of us because I just thought I was just like too much for everyone all the time but I was like oh no we're actually fun we bring the fun that's what we that's what our job is we, we get to like bring all the activity and all the energy and once I embraced that I really started to relax a lot more and enjoy my time with my kids and not be so stressed out all the time thinking I had to do it a certain way I was like you know what I'm going to do it my way I'm going to do it the way that works for us and our family because our family's not like another family. Their family's not like their family. We're never going to be the same. And so that was a really big thing for me, the acceptance and then the embracing. Aligned along with that is probably a lot of comparison I was doing internally with myself, with other women in the same sort of field as me or other women on Instagram. And I found myself trying to do it how they would do it or trying to be how they were or wear what they would wear or go to the things that they would go to until I realized I actually tested myself and I was like, you can know what, for the next however many months, I'm going to do it how I would do it. I'm going to wear what I would wear. I'm going to talk how I would talk. I'm going to go where I would go. I'm going to post how I would post. I'm going to say it how I would say it. And what I started to find is the more that I did that, the more that people responded to me. The line of communication with my community, all of a sudden, it was literally like an avalanche, like a waterfall just dumping on me because people were like, oh, you're being yourself now. We can see that. That's authentic and that's genuine. You're not trying to be something you're not. And yes, you break a glass here and there on Instagram. And yes, you have kind of a terrible hook, but it's kind of working for me. You say something weird and funny. You make a mistake. Your hair looks like has is doing this in, in your video. Uh, like whatever it is, that humanizing and not trying to be something and someone I wasn't was actually the thing that was holding me back. The minute I got that and I really got it and probably only pretty recently is when everything just feels like in in a better flow and the communication and the community has really just come together and they like it they like people who are themselves and so yeah that that is my that's my journey on comparison and ongoing it's not over definitely not over I'm sure there'll be days where I'm just like oh that you know (laughs) <laughs> they're doing it like that or what, you know, whatever. It's inevitable that it's and so, or something else is going to come at me where I'm going to think I'm not doing it right or I'm not good enough or I should be doing it in a certain way. But try and hold on to that lesson that I've learned to just embrace, embrace who you are and then others will embrace that too. It's like a law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's a really important message because I think we forget to be authentic because of all of the things that we're seeing. And it's only natural. Like you say, of course, it's, it will keep coming up for you. It'll keep coming up for all of us because we just can't help it. I think it's a natural state to look at what others are doing and compare. But if you can keep bringing it back to your own truth, we can all take a lot from that. I'm already thinking of like the 25 different things I could be doing differently. <laughs> you know. And I guess there's another thing that comes along with what you're saying there. And that's as women in particular, that theory that we're supposed to be able to do and have it all, but we all know that's impossible to do at the same time. And that guilt that you have constantly as a parent about where to put that time. Some of the things that you're talking about in terms of feeling stressed about the kids being out of control or being full on, I'm using my own words and experience there. I don't have the patience for them because my mind is 25 other places and I'm thinking of the other email I've got to send and the thing I've just got to finish and we've got to be here at this time and blah, blah, blah. How did you come to that place of wrestling with that guilt and working out where to put the most weight? That was a long and winding road to get to my conclusion on that because, yes, I agree. I'm exactly the same. You want to do it all. It's not that you sometimes have to do it all. You want to do it and you want to want to be a great mum and you want to be a great wife or a partner and you want to be great at your job. But all of those things require you, the one individual, to do all of the things. And so I think that's when it it sort of falls over because you're like, well, I can't be in 13 places at the same time where I'm required. And I talk about this in the book, in the surrender chapter, because I truly believe in the power of surrender. And by that, I mean, you know what? Sometimes you just have to throw your hands up and say, okay, 
I can't do it all, exactly what you just said. I physically can't. I'm one person. I can do possibly two things at the same time, but not everything at the same time. And even two things at the same time is very difficult. For me, it came down to, okay, what is important? What is the most important thing? What's the priority here? And for me, it was my family. And at that time, I was working as a stylist. And those hours are nuts. They are 24-7. You could be, your call time could be 6 a.m., but your prep time for that 6 a.m. call time has been a week in the making and you've been working all week and then you, you get there at 6 a.m. You could finish at 6 p.m. Or when you get to set, you might not finish till 10 p.m. So it's like you never know what's coming your day and that is very tricky to figure out when you have two small children to take care of. You need to get them, collect them, be with them, feed them, all of the things, <laughs> um, take over from whoever's got them. Mm. So for me, I was finding it very, very overwhelming to figure out those hours and figure out how to do it all. And I was like, you know what? These kids are not going to be young for, for too much longer. I had them. They're my responsibility. And I actually really want to be with them. I want to do all the things. I wanted to take them to their little soccer games and play dates and after school activities and all that sort of thing. And I, it, it was very, very important to me. And so I was like, okay, if that's the most important thing, then everything else has to kind of come after that. I made that pretty, I thought, difficult decision, even though I knew it in my heart, that's what I wanted and that's what my family needed and required for me at the time. And of course, being married to someone very busy as well, I feel like someone sort of had to had to be the one, the glue that's holding it all together at home. And I was happy to take on that role and responsibility. But it also was a hard decision because it meant I had to give up a few things. And that was hard because I didn't want to. I, I really enjoyed my job and working as a stylist and it gave me a certain sense of fulfillment and identity and it fulfilled my passion and that sort of thing and so that's very hard to give up because you're like if I give this up does that mean it's over forever does that mean I'll never get a phone call again does that mean I'll never have any opportunities does that mean I'm a full-time mother and all I do is run my kids around and play with play-doh all day I, I, I knew I had more in me than that but I also knew that's what my life required at that moment. And I think that's when I'm talking about surrender. That's what I'm talking about where you're like, okay, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on my dreams and the career that I wanted, but I'm just giving in for the minute. I'm giving in to what my life needs and what this force around me really, really needs. And so that's sort of how I looked at it, not giving up, giving in. In that moment, when I surrendered all of that and I very much almost stopped working as a stylist, was really engaged and involved in my kid's life, I think that's when the universe, God, whatever you call it, was just like, okay, you got that. You got the lesson. Prioritize what you think is the most important thing. Okay, now watch me work this out. And that's how it felt. It felt like somebody else just took on the stress and the worry and figured it out for me. And from that, I was able to, like a miracle, work out how to do both. And from that day forward, it was always like, okay, and to this day right now, family is first. Whatever they need and wherever they need to be and go is my first train of thought on every occasion and every day. And then it's like, okay, what can I fit in around them not being at the house or around school pickups, drop-offs? It is a juggle and a struggle and all the balls are in the air, but as long as I'm staying true to that family first and that decision and that initial like feeling of like that's my priority, then I can weirdly fit everything else in around it. And it don't get me wrong, it's hard and it's busy and it's you're right, like the email I've got to send, the place we've got to be, okay, what what does everyone need? Packing all the bags, okay, that person's got their socks, what uniform needs to be ironed right now has it still got grass stains on its knees you know like all those things all of those things it's it's effort it is effort it's not like I'm not saying surrendering is like this easy like just sailing down a beautiful river it's still effort and organizing and showing up and doing all the things but I'm just saying the flow of it and the the anxious overwhelmed feeling is less than Mm -hmm. it ever was 
was a very long answer to your very short question. <laughs> no, I love it because that is so much the crux, I think, of what most parents who are working and trying to do more than one thing at a time experience and that sense of overwhelm and then intense guilt because you've rushed through that short window of time you have with the kids at the end of the day and before they go to bed and once they're in bed everything kind of stops and you just think like god I was just shouting for the last two hours and stressing and everything was just too much and it was loud and messy and horrible and why what for So you know the drill, everything's happening all at once. What does a mum like you or Jules do to keep it all together effectively? Well, Jules spills the tea on what she does next on the Curious Life podcast. Just when you said before, I had the kids. They're my responsibility. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so often yeah, we're fending them off like it's something to deal with over there instead of just embracing it and, like you say, surrendering into the chaos a little bit. The kids feed off the chaos too. I know that if I remain calm, which is hard <laughs> to remain calm when it's all happening, you have to get out the door at a certain time. It's very hard to stay calm and but but. If I do, then everyone does. If I lose it, everyone loses it. Yeah. And it's like, you're like the oracle of the home. Like you're just like (laughs) carrying everyone's energy and mood and and you can absolutely alter how the morning goes or the afternoon or the bedtime routine just by being calm. Yeah. And it's, it's the hardest thing in the world. It's the hardest thing in the world. I try and like take a breath. Or like sometimes I leave the room Mm. and I just, I don't know, I like take the pile of washing down to the laundry and that's my time to just count to 10, two birds, one stone, of course, like always doing a job. Um, (laughs) But that's my time to like, okay, calm it. All right, now go back in there and you've got this. (laughs) Yes, totally. In fact, last night when we were having one of those crazy chaotic dinners where, you know, they're up and down off their seats and someone's dropping this and dropping that and, it's just mental. And I just, I must have said something like, oh God, I'm just like about to lose it. And my, my eldest said, mommy, do you need to just go and have a few minutes in your room by yourself? Maybe 10 minutes or maybe 50, 100 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I probably do. <laughs> oh, if only we could send ourselves to our own rooms that'd be fantastic (laughs) wouldn't it be (laughs) seriously I know I think it's one of the toughest jobs in the world there's nothing more complex and challenging than parenting hearing stories like yours just helps certainly someone like me who's doing the juggle as well just feel like okay I'm not alone this is what we're all going through. It's not just my little pocket of friends and we're all stressed and overwhelmed. It's, it's everyone. And what yep. are the things we can do to make it through? And take the pressure off. We put far too much pressure on ourselves to perfectly execute every activity and every day and go to bed completely feeling like we've nailed it that day. Mm. I don't nail every day ever. I don't think Um, because I'm big on, you know, having the house being tidy and everyone's bed being made before I leave the house and everyone being perfectly behaved and using their manners and nothing goes out of the lines and this is how I like to live. But it's not reality. And sometimes I do have to leave the house an absolute bomb and weep big stuck to the bowl all day, which like literally enters my mind. I'm like, oh, that's really... Yeah, I hear you on the annoying me. (laughs) Again, the priority is like, what's the priority? What is the most important thing? What is the most important? Okay, if the most important thing is getting there on time, then that's your goal. And whatever it takes, get that done. If your priority is making sure that your children are being kind to one another before they leave the house that day or whatever you're doing then take the time to do that take a minute to if I'm going to sit here and have a chat about kindness that's going to take me three minutes but that's going to mean I can't make the bed okay I'm leaving that the bed's not going to be made but at least I'm going to I'm going to have this 
chat about kindness. But if the bed is being made is more important than whatever the thing that's going on, do that priority. I just say go with the priority. Just do the most important thing in that moment every time. Don't feel like you failed at the end of the day if you didn't get everything done because that's an impossible goal. It's yeah. impossible. A hundred percent. I'm going to take that into this afternoon <laughs> when my boys Good. come storming through that door again. <laughs> yeah, you got this. You got this. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> now, one of the other things I thought was really interesting was the 20 or 30 different jobs that you shared with us that you'd been through and you tried. And this is something as a therapist that I'm constantly talking to people about that you have to just do the shit jobs to find the things that you love. If you're not doing anything, you're not going to find anything. And you've Mm -hmm. literally done just about every job that somebody could have done before (laughs) settling into a career. So why was it important for you to share that part of uh, that was in the purpose chapter, I think, finding your purpose. Why was that an important area yeah. for you to talk uh, about? Well, I found purpose, the purpose chapter, actually one of the hardest to write because I have always felt bad about that in mm. myself. I've actually always felt like that is a bit of a failure. I was never one of those people that were like, okay, when I leave school, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go to university, I'm going to study that thing, and then I'm going to be that. My path has never been that clear to me in my own head and my heart. Mm. And I always felt really bad about that my whole life. I always saw it as a weakness. And I always saw it as something that was like, oh, like I always felt like I had to figure out what, what is my purpose? What am I here for? What is this great big giant thing that I'm supposed to do with my life and how am I going to impact the world and how am I going to make a difference in the life of other people and I had such pressure on myself to do this and find this oracle of purpose and I was always on this quest and feeling like I never found it and I could and and like a failure that's the God honest truth and I thought maybe there are other people that feel this way and maybe this is an important thing to include because I have figured out that that's actually not a failure at all and I felt like that was an important message for anybody who might feel this way or are in the beginnings of their life and trying to find out what they want to do with themselves that's fine it's actually fine and things worked out great for me they worked out great and and I did not know that that was going to happen I truly didn't like sometimes I'm like oh okay, that really worked out just fine. But also what I love about it is that the amount of things that I learned along the way in all of these jobs, like when I think about my very first job, which was at McDonald's when I was 15 years old, I learned so many things that I still recall in this life today Mm -hmm. about how to treating customers and customers always right and prioritizing things in order and doing the most important things first. I learned how to clean properly I learned how to mop a floor like you've never seen someone mop a floor um <laughs> be an employee in the first place like at the age of 15 it's that those are very vital things to learn and things that I've taken through my life and and all of my jobs I've I've taken something from and nothing is for waste and that's what I write in the book like nothing is ever for waste you might think I don't want to do this job that I'm doing it doesn't like it's serving no purpose in my life I don't want to get up and do this. It's not it's not for me. But first of all, we need money to pay our bills. So there's your first reason to go to work. <laughs> and second of all, everything is a stage and a phase in life. Everything. And those things, it doesn't mean it's forever. And just because you're in it, it doesn't mean you're going to be in it for the rest of your days. And it could be a stepping stone or it could be a sidestep to something that you might not see coming. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what's going to come your way, what opportunity is going to come your way doing that job that you don't want to go to every day. You just never know what life is going to throw to you. And it's not a failure. I just see that life is one big lesson. It's one big lesson. We're here to learn. We're here to absorb. We're here to try and be better people every single day. And you're not a failure if you've had a million jobs and you've tried a lot of things and you like a lot of things. 
because that was my problem. I was like, but I like so many things. I like music and I like art and I like English and I like sport and I, <laughs> you know, I like food and I like flowers and I, you know, all these things that I was interested in and that I talk about following your curiosity and just following the things and those little nudges inside of you that you like. Like I worked in a forest because I was like, well, maybe I would like to be a flower. I love flowers. And now I'm obsessed with flowers. I just, I love having flowers around me. It makes mm-hmm. me happy. It brings me joy. But I figured out that, that I don't want to be a florist because that's not what I wanted to do with my life and as a job. And I figured out, okay, good. I don't want to do that. That's good. Now I know that. Okay, what else am I going to try? And all those things lead you to where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe it. And I just think all power to those people who know exactly what they want, because that would be a relief. That would be a giant relief. Like I look at my husband, he's like, I am born for this. This is what I want to do. I'm excellent at it. Here I am. I'm going for it. Yeah. But along with that, and I, and I say, I'm trying to remember my own quote in, in my own book, just because the purpose is clear. It doesn't mean the path is. Mm. And I think that's really important to remember because even though you are sure of your purpose, if you are sure of your purpose and I want to do this and I want to be that, it doesn't necessarily mean that the path to get there is going to be a straight line. You're still going to have to try really hard. You're still going to come off the path sometimes. You're still going to have to run into difficult situations and things probably aren't going to go your way 100% of the time. Just because your purpose is clear doesn't mean the path is. And so it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. If it's clear, if it's unclear, it's still going to be a challenge. So don't feel bad about yourself if you're trying this, that and the other and like a whole bunch of things. Like it's fine, you're fine and you're going to be great at the end of it all. You're going to know a lot of stuff. 100%. And I think that is so important because I think particularly for young people, there is a lot of pressure for them to know what they want to do, that pressure to do well at school so they get into the course that they want. And we know at this end of, you know, 20 plus years after finishing school that it's it's a starting point. It's a jumping off point. And wherever you land is wherever you're going to land. And maybe being around people like Guy who are very clear and having that that energy around you, being with someone from a young age who's very clear, this is where I'm going, I can imagine that would have added to that pressure of feeling like you needed to find your thing because it wasn't clear. There were so many interests and so many things you were good at. It makes that really hard. And I think that's really common for a lot of young people. It is. And also being side by side with somebody who was very successful as well Mm -hmm. in their chosen path. So not only did he know what he wanted and he went for it, he became successful in it. And so here was me just going, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know how to figure out what I'm going to be and how I'm going to get there. And that comparison thing again Mm -hmm. of now I've got all this pressure to be as good as that and to be as successful as that. And he never one time put that pressure on me. That was all coming from my own self and my own comparison, my own freaking out. That's when you just have to come back to yourself and be like, it's not my path, that's their path. I have my own journey and I'm going to get there eventually. And even if I don't, it's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was that was a big one for me too. Mm, yeah, well, I think yeah. that says a lot okay. about you and your strength of character because I think that would be really challenging and probably is very challenging for partners of people who are very successful and to be, like you say, side by side with someone whose career is becoming wildly successful and up and up and up and up and you're still feeling like you're treading water mm-hmm. I imagine it could be the undoing of a lot of relationships so it says a lot about you just hang in there you know for <laughs> <The> dear life <laughs> I'll get there eventually <laughs> and you have look at you now so it just goes to show you just gotta like trust in the universe try things and don't get stuck in that fear I suppose Yep, big time. And follow the nudges, follow the things that, that you're curious about, follow the things that you that interest you and spark joy. And I never realized that being a stylist was a career. I didn't know that you could get paid to do that. I truly didn't know that until yeah. I moved to Sydney and started studying fashion and 
And then I was like, oh, like creative people can have jobs in creative fields. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me. I just thought you're either an academic or you're a creative. And if you're a creative, you're probably just going to be poor. Like I, I, I just <laughs> yeah. assumed, I assumed that you needed to be an academic in order to mm-hmm. get a real job. Yeah. And I'm so excited for this generation coming through because the opportunity for creative people is boundless mm-hmm. and endless. It's so exciting. I Sometimes I wish I could like be 20 again now in this, in this generation because opportunities like you know youtube and instagram and blogs and and you know you you literally couldn't do any of that when we were kind of up and coming Mm. it was if you didn't work alongside a magazine or something that wasn't on the internet then you you sort of you know all those jobs were just up for grabs and you had to kind of wait for someone to die in order to get (laughs) to get one of those jobs (laughs) whereas now it's like you can be whatever you want to be like literally make a website or start an Instagram page or you can create the person that you want to become or you can create things that other people can see and be a part of it's so cool I just I love that I love that for creative people that there's just so much opportunity now for people to do things yeah, hundred percent. It's amazing. And for us growing up in an era without mobile phones or even the internet at school, it's a, just a vastly different world for these people. Lucky thing. I know. <laughs> you could look at someone's life like Jules Sebastian and think, "Wow, she has got everything." successful husband, beautiful kids. What has she got to worry about? But you can't just look at someone's life on Insta or social media and think you know it all. Personal tragedy, it hits all of us and Jules and Yana know that all too well. They talk about it next on the Curious Love Podcast. I did want to talk with you as well. So I share quite often on this show that I'd lost my mum suddenly when I was 21. The conversation always ends up taking a turn to grief and and people's experience of loss. I also spent a number of years working as a counsellor at the coroner's court. So I worked intensely with families and friends and witnesses who had experienced sudden and unexpected loss in Victoria. And you shared beautifully the harrowing experience that you and your family went through losing your brother. And there were so many points in there that I just think were so important to share in terms of how you deal with the sudden loss of somebody. And one of the things that you said was that you had to sort of come to a place of acceptance that you just weren't going to have the answers about what happened for your lifetime. And for some people, that is the thing that they absolutely cannot move past. So how did you actually get to that place? Because it's such an important step, I think, and so difficult for so many. So what got you there? Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, grief is such a personal journey mm. and it is different for every person that, that, ha- that goes through it. Good question. How did I get there? I, I feel like I got there pretty fast. And I think it was because we lost, uh, we lost my brother. Um, we lost my brother to suicide, and it was a shock—a very sudden, just sideswiping, did not see that coming situation. And Guy and I were on our honeymoon. So it was five days after our wedding. So the last memory I have of my brother, and I talk about that in the book, is him doing the caterpillar on the dance floor. That's like literally middle of the dance floor everyone crowded around him life of the party sweating dancing having a great time and then 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 we were on our honeymoon overseas in Rome and my dad calls us up and tells me the news that my brother had died and he'd taken his own life and I just was I mean still to this day I I don't know if I can ever wrap my head around it you know, when really big things like that happen and you would know, losing your mum, I can't imagine. You can't really ever understand that. It's too big of a thing for your brain to comprehend. You're just like, oh, okay, 
what like it's it's always going to be confusing it's always going to be shocking it's always going to be sad and devastating and tragic and what's hard is like okay that has happened and now we're all left behind having to figure this out and and how do you figure this out you you just are like you definitely need a minute to just sit down and be with yourself and be with your family and, and talk about it and ask questions and just be in, in the moment for sure. But I think what I sort of decided very early on was, okay, I'm going to let myself feel whatever it is that I'm feeling. And we feel all of the things when we're grieving. We feel obviously devastation, sadness, and all of that. We feel the questions. We feel the unfairness of it. We feel the anger. We feel ripped off. We feel like, how could this happen? How could you do that? How can like we feel lonely we feel somewhat connected to other people like there's so many they're like it's like a roller coaster it's a roller coaster and I think it's a roller coaster forever I don't think that really you you never really come off of that roller coaster unfortunately and I think that's another thing that we have to accept it's like this will never be over this that person is never coming back Mm. and so how do I figure out a way to be in this world without that person? And I think that's what I decided early on. It's like, okay, I can't do anything about this. I can't bring him back. I can't change the circumstance. There's nothing that any one of us can do to make this different. So I can't change it. So I accept that I can't change it. But now I have to accept that this world is different without him in it. And therefore, my life is going to be different without him in it. But how am I going to get through this new normal? How am I going to figure out a way? And for me, I think it's still the thing that I think about is that I just go about in my life making him as proud as I possibly can. And for me, that brings it back to that, like that warms my heart. And I feel like wherever he is looking down on on us in our life I just think okay I want him to to think you've done a great job there I'm really proud of you for that and it somehow keeps their memory so alive in my everyday walk and my everyday decisions and even how I raise my boys and my relationship with my husband I think I want him to I want him to be proud of me I want him to be like ah good on your little sis you've made some good decisions there and so it keeps the memory alive, but it also, it helps you accept the fact, okay, I'm, I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it because I want to be proud of myself. But I also accept that this is my new life. This is how it has to be. This is, this is how I have to walk through it. And making it into a positive rather than all of the questions that you will never know the answer to. Like, that is that would drive you nuts because mm. you will literally walk around in one giant circle for the rest of your days. Yeah, and you will make up reasons why, and you will try and figure it out and never get to the bottom of it. And you will talk about it with each other, and then you'll come back to the same spot. We don't know. Yeah, and so I don't want to spend the rest of my life driving myself nuts about it. I can't do anything about it. You have to get on with it. You just have to get on with it getting on with it doesn't mean forgetting and it doesn't mean you're not still in grief it doesn't mean you still don't remember the fantastic times you had together it just means there's nothing I can do I've got to get on with it and that it does take a minute it takes a minute to get to that like it you have to feel the feelings you have to walk through it it's not easy it's awful it's awful there's nothing worse than losing someone you love yeah, nothing worse. You, you can't think of a worse thing. That's not the no. worst thing that can happen. It is, yeah. and so yeah, and it, but it is personal, and and time, as we know, it heals things, and but it doesn't make it easier. It makes you feel better, but it doesn't make it easier. Mm. So you just have to figure out a way for yourself to to get to get through it and to to live a life that you're proud of and that would make them proud. I would mm. say. Yeah, that's beautiful. When you're in those first few years of of grief and trying to come to terms with it, there's this untenable 
idea that we're going to get closure at some point. And I hate that word because it doesn't exist. As you say, you don't get closure. You, this doesn't go away. You're, we're trying to problem solve our way out of it because that's what our brains are wired to do. Okay, here are the pieces. I've got some missing pieces to this puzzle. I'm going to just frantically go around in circles trying to put it all together. But as you say, in a lot of the cases, you can't solve it. It's unfair to kind of have that expectation that at some point there's going to be closure and that you're going to be okay and move forward. But like you say, it's not. You live for the rest of your life with that loss and it changes and evolves and becomes something different at every different stage of your life. And perhaps if we can all think about things in terms of more of an acceptance that we're looking for, coming just to terms with this new horrific normal and trying to find a place to settle in that, maybe that will make things a bit easier. 100%, but it isn't easy. It, it, we're, we're talking like it's like, oh, okay, I just yeah. accept it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I understand that it's a process that mm. you have to go through. You have to go through it. You have to feel it and do it and be in the mud. Mm. And yeah, it, it's a personal thing for everybody and, and how they end up. But yes, I think if you can find a way to accept it and spark the joy back into your own life and not be in the sadness all the time. I think that's really important. And it's probably what your dear loved one who has passed would want for you as well. They don't want you to be sad all the time. Yeah, 100%. And how do you keep your brother alive for your boys who unfortunately he didn't get to meet? And for so many people, we had like in my life as well, you know, my mum hasn't met my, even my partner or my boys or all those big important things that are happening to us, they're sort of missing out on. So how do you, yeah, how do you keep him alive for them? We have sort of a, not a rule, I don't want to say it's a rule, but a policy in our house that nothing is off the table. So the boys can ask us anything and, and we will honestly answer them. They can talk to us about whatever they need to. So I think we're big communicators in our house. I'm very fortunate to be married to a very good communicator. He's, he's a talker and we are constantly talking and solving the problems of the world. So the boys, I, I think they see that about us and we're constantly talking to them about, you know, whatever, and they will ask us and talk to us about things. So that is also on the table and up for discussion. And my brother had two little girls. They were really young at the time when he died. They live in Adelaide. And so we, we are in close connection with them. And they know their the boys know their cousins, and obviously when we go to Adelaide, we, we hang out with them, and they've had trips up to Sydney, and so that's a really nice way to keep that that conversation of that mummy's brother's kids, and my husband and Archie, they both play soccer, and my brother was a mad soccer fan and played soccer his whole life, so that's another way that we talk about him I tell, I tell them how I used to go to his soccer matches and he was really good at soccer and so we just like keeping it on their level obviously they're only kids and so they're not going to fully comprehend or understand but just talking about him like he was a special part of our life and still is and obviously his daughters are in our life and a part of our life and so yeah my mom and dad also they're very close with my boys and ask them so it's, you know, we always do a cheers to him at Christmas and his birthday and, and that sort of thing. So nothing is off limits to talk about. And got a tattoo of his initials on the side of me and the boys are always asking me, what's his middle name? And Hudson's got the same middle, middle name as him. And so there's lots of ways. But yeah. I think it's just that keeping it on their level of understanding and kids are smart. They're so smart and they're so connected to their souls. And they ask really interesting questions that I found myself I'm like hold on how did we get here how, what how are we talking about <laughs> death right now yeah but, but I think it's just keeping it as honest as humanly possible yeah so, so that's how we do it yeah that's beautiful I sometimes wonder particularly my eldest does he know because I'm I have a similar kind of policy we talk about everything and does he know too much when we get into those conversations I think gosh like these are really mature, insightful questions about the real mm. things in life and really big, important things. But are other five-year-olds talking about this stuff or is it just because that's our story and we have an element of grief that is present that we share and talk about? And so, yeah, it's good to hear that it's at least happening over in the Sebastian household too. 
Oh yeah, we get we get real deep over here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I guess they're going to get to all of this stuff eventually, aren't they? It's just a matter of, as you say, keeping it on their level and making sure that they're safe and they feel secure in the conversations that are being had. And I'd rather it come from us than somewhere else, yeah. Now, Jules, there's so much more I could go into, but I realise we're sort of running out of time. But what is coming up next for you? Is there more writing in the pipeline? What do, What are you up to? I feel like I just need to get through this book, um, <laughs> even though, you know, I did finish it a while ago, but I feel like I'm just living in the moment of people reading it and embracing it into their hearts and homes and hands. And that's been a really, really beautiful thing to experience. And I just, I love what people are pulling out from it and learning from it and getting out of it. That's been a really, really cool thing to, to, to see because that was the intention as we talked about in the start. So yeah, just talking about the book a lot just more of the same thing like I'm having a great time on Instagram I don't know if any of yours this will follow me over on Insta but so much cooking and so much cocktails and brand ambassadorship with friends that I love and aligned with and it's a big full life having two babies to look after as well they're getting older and they're just busy really busy kids um they're full I'm busy so just more of the same stuff more of more of this and just following my curiosity and whatever comes out of that is what I'll go with. I love it. And so for anyone that's not following Jules, I'll pop the links to your Instagram in the show notes and they can get your beautiful book, Tea and Honesty, pretty much anywhere, can't they? At all good bookstores. And I've always wanted to say that. I love it. Oh, Jules, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story again today. And I know that it is a lot. You're probably talking endlessly about this book, but I appreciate you getting deep with us and sharing some of the tougher conversations too. I know it'll help a lot of people. Well, that's what I hope. And we are not alone. We are in this together. We have each other. There's always somebody that you can lean on. So I think that's what I would just want anyone to get out of reading my book or listening to anything that I say is that don't be alone in your life like someone is always there and reach out and listen to podcasts because I listen to podcasts all the time and I find myself being helped all day long a hundred percent couldn't agree with you more <laughs> all right I look forward to seeing what comes okay. next <laughs> what to say For listening we would love it if you left us a rating for this episode and catch up with yana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on instagram and facebook at the curious life podcast